What's up, guys, and welcome back to Paint Bravely, the podcast where you can find a little bit of encouragement, discover new ways to make your hobby more fun, and most importantly, learn to paint bravely. Now, this is episode 11, so we are still doing this. If you thought for some reason we were stopping the podcast, we're not. We're definitely not stopping the podcast. So this week, we're going to get into a little bit of what we've been doing. We both just got back from vacation, and we're going to... We're going to get into some fun topics from viewers and some scalping questions, I guess. Yeah. So, Brent, you just got back from vacation, and you've been doing a bunch of hobby, I'm sure, the whole time. That's true. That's actually pretty accurate, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <Very> so, <laughs> like we talked about last time, went to the lake, you know, went canoeing, and uh, as I travel, I take with me something to assemble. I think that's a good compromise for, for getting some hobby done on the road. So I took with me some Necrons to put together. Ooh. Yeah. Some Indomitus Necrons? No, the ones I took with me on vacation, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten my Indomitus Necrons yet. So I had mm. some old Necrons, actually. Some, Still good. Some test models. <laughs> Still good. Still good. So, yeah, taking taking that on the road, you just need some glue and, like, a hobby knife, some clippers, some models. Don't need your whole selection of paints and, and all that. Pretty easy just to, to get set up at a level one hobby desk wherever you find yourself and go to town. Very nice, so. very nice. Yep. Um, and then I also took my camera with me on vacation. Never, never missed a, a good opportunity to get a little bit of footage, so I went... Went out fishing, went out on the canoe, mm-hmm. and I did what is becoming a somewhat regular thing now of of putting a camera on a tripod at the the bow of the canoe, sitting in the back, getting some footage of paddling along on the lake there. And this time what I did is I actually got a lot of footage of fishing. And so mm-hmm. I, I set my camera up to take, you know, a 30-minute video, and I, I started doing this challenge of, how many fish can I catch in 30 minutes? And it's just the, the stupidest thing, but it was a lot of fun. And yeah. I, I caught more than zero fish in 30 minutes. I don't want to spoil That's the video. That's pretty but good. Yeah. How, how many hours did you fish like like throughout the whole time? I mean, just a couple. Just a couple. Okay. Or, or like a couple of hours that I actually got footage for. But, right, yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking about it. I might actually release that as a video, just just a clickbaity YouTube, how many fish can I catch in 30 minutes? And I actually did this a couple of times with different lures, so I, I oh, might okay. even make it like... Oh, that'd be awesome. Like Throw nature, the lure up in the yeah, like a, or, or like fishing channel specific, like yeah. MEPS French spinner lure versus the... Yes. Uh, yeah, Rapala original floating minnow. Uh, that I like that a lot. I'm excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I went fishing for, uh, let's see, probably seven or eight hours total over two days. Caught one fish. It's very disappointing. But it was on a MEPS oh. lure. Yeah, it was a nice It was thing. a MEPS. Okay. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your what's your ty- favorite type of MEPS? So for, for those <laughs> listening at home, this is a, a sinking metal artificial lure. That has like a, a spoon that spins around in a circle as you're as you're pulling it through the water. It's got a spinner, and it you know adds some drag and a lot of a lot of flash to the lure. But what? Yeah, uh, very shiny. Yeah, what's your type of maps? What's what do you I, like? I like the the chrome spinners. So it's okay. just 
It's got the little fuzz on the end with like the tri hook, mm-hmm. um, but it's just chrome. So the shiniest thing you can get, and the water's pretty clear, so like you could see it shining like as it was coming back in. I also like to put like two feet up the line, uh, some weight, so that it kind of drags a little bit, mm. and that that seems to work pretty good for me most of the time. But I was in a a lake that had way too many people in it for you know Corona season. And uh, I think it was just not a good time to fish. Well, sorry to hear that, buddy. At least you got yeah. one, right? I, I'm gonna. I'll put that picture up. It's comical. Did your Did your son see you catch a fish? He did. He was very excited, actually. Okay. All right. <laughs> he was extremely excited. He got to touch it, and then I threw it back, and it swam off. <laughs> That's perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. At least it wasn't like I'm sorry, son. Daddy's a failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like I had my nephews, too, and they were both fishing for the same amount of time. They didn't catch anything. They were very disappointed. Oh. (laughs) Well, did you have them uh, set up on the same maps? You got that? Yeah, and I was switching switching some stuff out with some of the, uh, apparently some of the, it's like the the surface lures that are, they're like, they kind of wobble back and forth. I can't remember what brand it is, but they're like uh, little bugs, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, those are supposed to be pretty good for where we're at, but they didn't do anything. <laughs> well, sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, me too. But I'm hoping you, like you said, you caught more than zero. And if you're willing to make a video about it, it's going to be exciting. So I'm definitely going to watch it. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Yes. Yeah, hooked you. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> So we're uh, we're both back from our vacations now. We're back to to painting and making videos and all that. Mm-hmm. What what else is new with you, Casey? Well, so right when I got back, I decided to paint two thousand points of Stormcast and stay up all night. It was a really bad idea. It turned out really good, but I, I still felt like crap the whole time. Yeah, I agree. I, I watched that video and it. It did turn out really well. Did you get any sleep before that? So, I mean, you started one of these 24-hour marathon videos, and I've done this a couple times now, and whenever I start mm-hmm. one of those, I start at like 9.30, 10 in the morning so that I can get a good solid night's sleep oh, first okay. and start at the, you know, not at the very start of the day, but like start an hour after I wake up, you know, after I've yeah. had time to get some eggs in me and a little bit of coffee and all that. But, you know, looking at uh, looking at the video you made, it seemed like you started at, like, 7 at night or something like that? Yeah, I started at, at like, 6.15 or something. Okay. Um, I mean, usually I like to stay up late anyway, so I figured, okay, well, if I can push through till dawn, then the sun's pretty much going to take care of the rest. Like, I've got daylight coming in, there's stuff going on, and for the most part, that actually helped quite a bit. Um I think what really did me in, I guess, is the fact that I just got back from a pretty non-relaxing type of a vacation where I just, I was pretty much just working the whole time, like moving stuff and driving and dealing with all these things. Like it just, that's just the way it worked out. But, um, like I made it through and I didn't quite get to 24 hours like video wise, because about four hours left in the video, I got a phone call that my my wife's car 
was dead on the side of the road. So I had to leave with about five hours left to go jump her car so she could get back home. So I kind of was wrecked at that point, and I was just like, well, at least the army's done. I think I'll stop here. <laughs> were, were there any arguments as you were hooking up the car batteries? You know, positive, positive, <laughs> negative frame. No, positive, positive, negative, negative. Like I were, almost got them backwards. You, like, I was about to put them on backwards, and I'm like, no, no, that's <laughs> not how this goes. <laughs> just super yeah. deprived, not really a car mechanic bit. guy. Yeah. 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 It was it was a little rough, but uh, I mean it, it it went better than I expected, I guess. Um, and I'm definitely ready to do it again. Yeah, I mean, the way you framed the actual video, it was just, "Hey, I'm done with the army after 19 hours. I got some time left to spare, and it looks good. And uh, you know, dust off your hands. Mm-hmm. We did it. We did it, guys. We yeah, uh, we got the army done. Yeah, and I. Well, what's I guess what's worse is I ended up staying up the whole rest of the next day, too. Okay. Like, I, I think I slept for, like, an hour and then just went to bed at still at, like, 9 or 10 at night. <laughs> wow. So I, I could have kept going, but it was done. Yeah, but you got... 2000 points of star stormcast looking pretty good and your your paint yeah. screen your paint scheme was that stone cast as you call them so mm-hmm. grays with a lot of dry brushing and stuff like that and then you had a blue glow effect that looked mm-hmm. awesome and then you had some flock which people were divided on whether they thought it looked awesome or not but uh, yeah <laughs> well cuz i did a stone cast video before and people were down like they they did not like the moss that i did um because it was like deer moss is a little bigger you know they were like real small pieces mm-hmm. i thought it looked cool but uh then i went with this other stuff and and the size wasn't the issue this time it was the color like a lot of hate for the color even though i think that it really sets everything apart like it, it looks so cool to me but yeah not enough variety for some people okay. which is fine yeah. you know I mean, the theme was it was uh, a mountainside come to life or or something like that, right? And Pretty much, like like if you think about the uh, the what is it, porcelain ceramic army, the one in China. Yeah, I'm I'm with Kinda you. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but the seven thousand like buried that. soldiers or yeah, yeah. No, it's not going to come to me, but yeah, I know what you're talking <laughs> about. That's that's yeah. what you had in mind. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you used a, a little bit of lore rationale to explain away a fairly simple but effective paint scheme. You used your paint, uh, your airbrush to do that blue glow effect, which legitimately looks awesome and sells the whole thing. And of course, just an army actually done up to all look like each other and all standing next to each other looks awesome. And yeah. uh, it sounds like you got it done with a lot of obstacles in your way. So congratulations on right. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, that was that was good times. Um, I also got a 3D printer in the mail, and I haven't even haven't even done anything with it yet. But I gotta dive into that. So I need all your files, Brennan. I need <laughs> all your STLs. <laughs> congratulations. That's uh, that is fun. That is you know, an aspect of our hobby that is growing very fast right now. And I am yeah. totally into, 
Yeah. So I, maybe maybe you're just getting to the point where you're getting emails from the, the 3D printer companies. I've been getting them for you know, a few months before you, and I am up to five now. Actually, just before we started this podcast, I unboxed another one, and yeah, yeah the the I have several that are all like the same size and same basic specs, just from from different manufacturers, and mm-hmm. then I just got the next of a, a new generation that's that's larger. So instead of a two two K oh, okay. uh, screen for the photo polymerization at the, at the bottom of the build yeah. plate, it has a four K screen now. I've been wondering when when those were going to start getting sent out. Yeah. So I just unboxed it and kind of went through the the wide eyes of, wow, look how big this is, and just trying to imagine, you know, the size of, at this point, statue that you can make with this. You know, the the previous Mm -hmm. generation, depending on the proportions of the figure you wanted to print out, you could print out something about the size of an action figure. You know something right, yeah. about six inches tall as long as they don't have you know their arm and a and a banner or a sword above their head or anything that it needs to be much yeah. much smaller or be printed in pieces but you know this thing is not quite double the the height or the width or anything but it is a much larger volume <laughs> of a print area and and my imagination is just going wild with you know right a, you know print like a pretty cool dragon out or or, or just some barbarian that really takes up a pretty good chunk of your desk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting with the 4k too. I'm, I'm really curious to see if there is like a vast difference in quality. Probably the quality will be very similar. So the, the pixel density, um, if anything, it, it might, it's either similar it's probably pretty similar to, to, you know, the one you have, and mm. sorry, I didn't mean to immediately belittle your your three D printer for anyone <laughs> else tiny, who's gotten tiny three um, D printer, you know, the, the any cubic photon <laughs> or Mars or what? Uh, what one it, did you get? The, so it is the newer one. It's the Photon S. Okay. So it's it's the the little bit fancier version. I don't actually know what resolution it prints at, like screen wise. I think it's two K. Um, I think it's two K. It 2K. probably is. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I know it is the the slightly nicer one. Yeah, it's uh, the the resolution. I think the math comes out to point zero five millimeters is like the pixel size. And you know when you when you print out a figure like that, sometimes you get just a a hint of like a topographical map kind of effect, like the rings, the the aliasing. (laughs) But it's it's still the the pixel size on that determines the kind of X Y resolution of of the yeah. print, and then the the step height for for the platform going up and down out of the vat is determining the the Z resolution, and you can you can fix that. Uh, it just depends how how good the step motor is, but normally you set right, it so it's yeah. a cube, so that the resolution is a cube that's a twentieth of a millimeter on each side, which is pretty good resolution so Mm -hmm. um yeah and i mean i've seen prints out of the you know even last generation of resin printers and they're still really good and i mean for the stuff that i plan on using it for i I don't need necessarily some fancy super high resolution prints you know if i'm doing bits to go on different things right 
Like, cause that's, that's going to be my main focus with it is, is, oh, I'm missing a banner. Can I print a banner? Yes. Yeah. You know, no, I'm I think, missing a head or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. I think all of the resin printers that have come out within the last two years are mm-hmm. all, are all good. Even the ones that are pretty affordable for a consumer, you know, the ones that are you know, $200 or something like that. They, yeah, yeah. they all get the job done. And that's why there's just been this explosion of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Patreon selling STL files and all that. And, you know, there's, there's uh, some mini enthusiasts who are, who are not big on the quality of these prints, but for me, yeah. they are absolutely good enough to, to covet and, and be happy with and be proud of and, and spend hours and hours and hours painting up. So cool. I think yeah. you're going to have fun with it, Casey. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. Uh, let's see here. Is that, is that your updates? I think so. Okay. Caught one fish, went to the lake. Okay. Painted 2000 points. Got a printer. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I went to the lake. Uh, I did not paint 2000 points. I caught (laughs) at least one fish. We'll put it that way. Yeah. You don't want to give it away. Yeah. And thinking about it, nah, no, nah, I won't give it away. I won't give it don't away. Don't give it away. No, nah, don't do that. Because no. um, then I won't watch it. Like I, I got a printer that was bigger than yours, but that's okay. You painted more models than me, and um, right, it's a trade. No, actually, we're just getting to the start of my updates here. So I forgot again to cancel my Disney Plus account. So this is just mm. going to be an ongoing thing. But this it time, I watched uh, Star Wars Rebels. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. I've seen maybe one episode. Okay, so it's um, Star Wars cartoon episodic TV show, a little more for children than than the movies were. I mean, it's the the plot lines are a a little bit tamer. You know, nobody's getting decapitated in quite the same ways they do in some of the movies. Not quite. But, <laughs> so it's so it's a little bit tamer in that respect. But I found it to be a lot of fun, and the reason I'm bringing it up is because the artistic inspiration in there is real Mm -hmm. so in particular there's one character who is just an airbrush artist so there's this character sabine wren who she she wears mandalorian armor but the like the interesting quirk that she has is that she just carries an airbrush with her and when she's bored on the ship she just like (laughs) airbrushes things and it adds a paint, paint lot minis. of, yeah, it's it's great. It's great. Um, she doesn't paint minis. She's more like a graffiti artist or she'll paint up sure. the ship or her armor or stuff. Um, mm. But it's great. It, it, it adds this, this really fun artistic flair to the show. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of an interesting character quirk, but it allows the show to just include these, these purples and these oranges because she's just uh, spray see. painting mm-hmm. everything all the time. So like interesting from their perspective of like, well, you know, we don't want to be stuck in this technically kind of grim dark future of Star Wars or the, you know, long ago past whatever. So yeah, throwing something like that in, you get a lot more variety. That's that's it. I wonder if that was like you know, that like a super conscious decision for the artists, you know. Somebody somebody had a great idea with that one. It's like, yeah. you know, the characters in, in one episode steal a TIE fighter, 
and then you know four episodes later or something they need to do a secret mission and and go undercover and use a tie fighter to get on board a, a star destroyer and they're like uh well we uh we we painted it uh i'm sorry we we painted it and then they just cut to the tie fighter and it's just completely orange and purple with these awesome <laughs> designs on it and everything that's great and yeah i mean it makes the show look awesome it's a fun character trait and then you and i spend a lot of time with our airbrush too and so it's very real inspiration for like oh wow like i want to get a mandalorian figure and paint it up with those crazy colors and right <laughs> you know, try to get those designs on there and yeah so that's that's today's uh episode of brent hasn't canceled disney plus yet right, but he found yeah. some cool shows to watch and uh <laughs> yeah well since yeah like i i have a kid so disney plus is basically required um but i mean yeah there, there's some good stuff on there and they're getting more stuff all the time i mean obviously you got to watch endgame so that's that's a bonus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know there's there's some things in there some hidden gems yeah, I don't the, think you're going to be canceling it anytime soon is what I mean. Yeah, I keep forgetting. So I'll, I'll keep watching stuff and just every episode I will let you know what's going on there. Yeah, I like it. Well, what is it, like six bucks or something? It's it's not breaking the bank. It's it's okay. I'll, yeah. I'll get over it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right then. Uh, would Do you want to get into the main topic of this episode? You know, I have one more update that we could do here. Mm. All right. So this is might it. be the might be the required paint bravely segment of this episode. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the episode we're not going to be talking that much about painting, but I tried true. I tried a new technique for the first time and just wanted to talk about it a little bit. So I tried painting cloth with a cross hatching method. Right, yeah. Yeah. I saw that. So this is, you take um, some cloth texture on a mini with, you know, folds and rolls and and that sort of stuff. And you prime it in a fairly dark color. You could prime it black. You could prime it brown, whatever. And then instead of, you know, painting on big swatches of highlights... For for highlighting it up, what you do is you just make tiny little lines, like just a whole row of diagonal lines, then a whole row of other diagonal lines that that crisscross the ones you drew first, and Mm -hmm. then you keep kind of stacking that cross-hatching pattern on top of each other, and you're, you're kind of positioning those colors in the same places you would ordinarily put highlights, so... You're putting more of those cross-hatched lines on the raised folds of the cloth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it does some sort of optical illusion where your eye is perceiving that texture as, you know, a different material. That that texture yeah. is really adding something to it. And you're still getting the effect of, you know, there's more lighter, brighter colors where there should be highlights. And there's those darker colors in the, in the deep recesses of the folds, but... Yeah, the the reason I wanted to talk about this is just it's uh it's a new tool for the toolbox. It's kind of like a like yeah. a side journey on on 
learning how to paint. And yeah, painting doesn't have to be this, this straight progression from bad to good or, or novice to expert. There are mm -hmm. so many little tools you can pick up along the way. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the the cross hatching thing. I've I've never tried that, but like whenever I put texture into cloth, I'm usually doing that like you know little tiny lines. You know, I I like to go perpendicular, you know, to the the direction of the the cloth, um, and that really does add just just enough in there to give you that. I saw that video where you did the cross hatching. I thought it turned out really good. Um, I know you were talking about, you know, wanting to make thinner lines or having to practice to make thinner lines, but like, it looked good to me, man. Well, thanks Casey. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is a, a skill within a skill there of, of learning how to make those tiny little lines for the cross hatches, thin and uniform and yeah, whatever. But yeah, I suppose the thinner and more uniform you get, like the the better it would sell the idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I don't know what kind of brush you're using. I, I was using a Squidmar brush, but but I haven't All gotten right. my, my skills yet with that. Right. Yeah. yeah cause you, so, okay, now that you bring that up, um, is that the first Sable brush you've used? I've used a couple before. So I have one Da Vinci brush that's been my eyeball brush for a few years now <laughs> sure where i just use i use synthetics on everything pretty much until i get to the eyes and then the yeah. slera and the pupil are this one tiny da vinci brush that i have at the back of my drawer for just those occasions you know interesting okay yeah i i i find that the the sable makes a big difference in getting you know consistent lines consistent whatever because that you know the brush doesn't it, d it tends to hold up a little bit longer. You know, it doesn't get that hook tip like a lot of synthetics do. Sure. Yeah. And that's what I figured. And, uh, you know, I got my, my Squidmar brushes in the mail before people who bought them, but after most of the uh, the testers did. Right. So I got mine in the mail, like, on, you know, the last day of the Kickstarter or something. So. Oh, uh, really? Okay. So, sorry, I'm not going to be useful in, in plugging these, but <laughs> I, I will give them right. a test and you know, for, for my own knowledge. And then, you know, hopefully, uh, just a little bit of publicity to, to help those late sales or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, the, I had heard that, that. They needed help from us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every little bit helps, right? Yeah. But I had heard that, you know, sable brushes were good for fine details and trying to do those consistent things. And if there is more paint, and more moisture held in the body of the bristles, then I can make, you know, 20 lines before refilling the brush instead of 10 lines. And so that should add to consistency as well. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, when you do get into a rhythm of, okay, I'm going to go up and down this uh, big fold of cloth. And when you get into that rhythm of just being able to quickly knock out those little hatches, that feels really good. Like just go down the line, notch, 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 uh, I had a, I had a couple of runs of that where like yeah that I did exactly what I wanted to do there and that's gonna yeah. look good and I'd get to the next highlight color and I make a giant smudge like ah, <laughs> that's all right uh, we've all been there yeah 
Yeah. That's just a matter of, of continuing to try that new skill, that new technique, right? Like it's going to go far. And especially if you push that, I think that you'll find a bunch of uses for something like that. And I, I like little techniques like that. You know, they, they pop up every so often and you're like, ah, oh, I think, I think I'm going to try this on this one again. You know, it just kind of comes up and it's a nice thing to have kind of, like you said, in your toolbox. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I, sometimes I think of learning to paint as being <laughs> a linear journey from novice to expert and, you know, maybe maybe the main quest line is figuring out how to do smooth blends and, you know, know how to shade and highlight and get contrast on your model or something like that. But there mm. there are so many little side tools that you can figure out and when the moment comes, you're like, you know what, instead of doing cloth with glazing or you know some other type of highlighting the way i'm going to highlight this cloth is with this cross hatching method and mm-hmm. i think that'll be cool in this situation and so it's fun just yeah. to have those options those kind of side grade techniques where you have learned something you've put something else in your toolbox when that situation comes up pull it out and, and have fun but along the paint bravely thing it's it's never wasted time to just try something that you hadn't tried before, try to paint something up in a in a slightly different way, you know whether that's painting with washes or dry brushing or cross hatching or freehand, you know any of those little sub skills that you've heard of before. Never wasted time to to give it a shot and figure out when that technique applies and when it doesn't, and if you have any skill at it whatsoever, or if you could de- develop some skill eventually. So. Yeah. Well, I like that. That's cool. But yeah, I'll have to try that out too. Yeah, it's a it's a fun one. We'll have to figure out what's next on the list of, of random little skills to learn here. That's always the fun part, though, right? Like you randomly stumble across some video that shows you how to do something you've never seen before. Like even being in the hobby for a while. You can just see some weird thing, you know, and it and it just clicks, and you want to try it. Right. So yeah, right now, like it seems, uh, you know, both of us are now more tuned into the fads and the the rhythms of what people are getting into. So it seems right now everybody's getting into painting with oil paints. Or, or if yeah. you picked up on that, but there's been a lot more, you know, publicity recently. You know, partially that's just, you know, we both listened to Trapped Under Plastic and, but. Yeah, John buying that Aptalung paint. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's, he's been excited about that for a little while, but it, it does seem that there's been this, this spreading, you know, rage of, of using oil paints because oil paints take longer to dry and you have more working time and you can get smoother blends with that, you know, longer working time. And so it's kind of fun to see, you know, just a lot of people in the community deciding that almost as as like a hive mind, this is the technique that we're going to work on next as a community. And cool. Well, I'll uh, I'll give it a shot as well. You know, I've used a little bit of uh, a little bit of oil paints in the past. Not a lot, but if everyone's getting back into them, sure, we'll uh, we'll add that to the toolbox next. 
Yeah, you, you tried some oil paints in that, uh, uh, what was it, the the roulette, Coopertown roulette, like yeah, a long the, time ago. Yeah, yeah, what, the episode two or three or something of Coopertown yeah. roulette, I did have to use some oil paints, and I used, you know, just the cheapest, I don't know if it was actually Rose Art paints or what, but some sort of, mm. some sort of U.S. art supply maybe, just some eight dollars for 24 oil paints or right, it was a pretty yeah. good deal i don't know if you can still get that deal that was pretty good but yeah and Actually, they I, I, I bought a set like that for like eight bucks nice like a year ago nice. i haven't even opened it <laughs> nice and and yeah the oil paints definitely do have a a much longer working time like it takes 24 hours for them to really dry you know yeah. pluses and minuses to that but yeah a little bit i mean for painting on youtube I suppose it depends like how often you upload and, and the type of thing that you're doing. Like I use a lot of oil products, um, things that like, you know, washes and stuff that, that don't take too long to dry. Uh, they allow you to do some fun things and blending and that kind of thing. Um, actually I've been working on, uh, painting a war band and a lot of it is like, you know, oils and, enamels so a little bit of fun with that stuff i uh, haven't gone full oil paint yet but i i mean i've been interested in it for a while um i don't know have you seen the the youtube channel uh zat cascagoon i have yeah 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 so he's he does the whole grim dark thing aos 28 um all oils pretty much and it's amazing like, it looks really cool. It has a very specific look to it, you know, painting in that kind of a style. Um, and he's been using that Abtalung stuff for quite a while, and I've I've been interested. It's very expensive oil paint mm-hmm. uh, because it is it is formulated for miniature painting. So they've taken a lot of that oil out so that when you put it on a palette, it's, it's going to dry actually faster. Right. Than normal oil paints that you buy, like artist oils. Right. So I think when we see an increase of companies coming out with oil paints that are specific for miniature painting, that still give you the same kind of results but dry quicker, I think it's really going to explode. And since there's only that one company and it is fairly expensive, you know, they kind of hold their share in the market, you know, it's it's going to it's going to be a minute. But I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to make the switch. Yeah. Yeah, it's just nice to see how these different techniques kind of come along and gain popularity and then people add that to their their box of tricks and mm-hmm. you know, not everybody's going to decide that that's the the favorite thing from them, but you know, a, yeah. a year or two, yeah, just one year ago it was contrast paints, you know, and everyone was trying to contrast right. paints and for some people, they decided that was going to be their, you know, one of their main tools. Some people moved past it pretty quick. But yeah, it's it's great to see yeah. individuals, and then kind of interesting to see the hive mind just go through these phases of we're going to try this technique now. Now we're going to try this technique. Now we're going to try this, and it all adds up, and eventually, just getting that experience, not not on a linear path to being a better painter, but kind of getting like these side grade techniques of what if I did it this way instead of the way I was doing it, instead of just 
what if I was better at my my main way of of doing blends, you know? Right. Yeah. And yeah, there's just a, an options. interesting way of gaining experience in the hobby on these little side paths that might end up being a, a major component of of your style and the way that you like to paint. So none of this energy yeah. is is wasted of trying something completely different and seeing how you like it and for me this week it was it was cross hatching on cloth but we'll we'll see what it is next week full set of oils next week there we go perfect yeah makes sense <laughs> all right moving along here casey i guess we better get to the topic of the day and we're a little late to this one but should we talk about uh scalping scalping miniatures so, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so the the impetus for this, and, and a lot of other folks have had this discussion, but uh, Warhammer 40K is moving from 8th edition into 9th edition, and as sort of their starter box for this edition, the box that has a lot of models from two different armies and a r- rule book, therefore, to my mind, is the starter box to this edition, is yeah. uh, Indomitus, which... They sold out of in pre-sales, which happened two weeks before the release of the box, within 10 minutes of pre-sales opening up. Yep. And that that led to uh, various consternation and drama because not only after 10 minutes of pre-sales, not even, not even on launch day could you not get it after 10 minutes, you couldn't get this 10 minutes after the pre-release opened up right weeks before the actual right. release and yeah you know, we're, we're just finding out now that yes indeed there are you know official starter boxes for ninth edition but if the first ninth edition product you sell is two armies and a rule book in a box it's fair yeah. for people to assume that's the starter box for the new edition i'd say it's perfectly fair yeah. because they never mentioned that it wasn't it it very much looks like the last starter box that they put out, you know, Primaris Marines and something else. Indeed. And in this case, Indeed. it was Necrons. Yeah. It's like, yes, yeah, people the, want uh, that. The first printing of the ninth edition rule book was another pretty big hint on that one. Right, yeah. But, an, but anyway, printing. yeah, the, the starter box for Warhammer 40K is... Sorry, I'm getting distracted. This cat is sitting right in front of the camera. And this <laughs> Perfect. Uh, perfect, yeah, okay. Wow, that's distracting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> okay, Indom- oh, Indomitus, yeah. Indomitus, focus, Indominus. focus. Indominus. <laughs> what was I saying? Okay, so so Indomitus uh, <laughs> sold out. You can't get it. Uh, you know, they, local game stores weren't able to get as many copies as, as they necessarily wanted. Um, I think my local game store was able to get as many as they wanted, but a lot of local game stores were not. Yeah. And kind of to add to all of that, you know, as soon as GW is finished selling out two weeks before the product went live, there were a ton of eBay scalpers, you know, saying that they would sell you to the box in two weeks for, eh, let's say, double the, the MSRP. Yeah. And so then, Which... you know, the the memes and, and the Reddit posts and the Facebook posts just went into overdrive, you know, 
super angry at at GW, super angry at the scalpers. And then a few days after that, GW said, okay, okay, we'll we'll do, you know, a second printing of that. You can pre-order for for like the next batch now. They're calling it a, a made-to-order system. Yeah. And so, okay, like you will be able to get the starter box for ninth edition if that's it, that is something you wanted. Um, which is good. You know, that's yeah, that's not the sort of product that you should do a limited run on. Um, no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Yeah. And and then the the next wave of memes were like, take that scalpers, GW good guys, like right, crushing yeah. the scalpers. And yeah, I I I, uh, I think we can talk a lot about all kinds of aspects of this. Where do you want to start, Casey? Let's start with. Um... The fact that Games Workshop kind of set themselves up for this situation. Like, that, they kind of labeled it as a starter box. It essentially is. They didn't make enough of them for some reason, even though they're usually pretty good about making sure they have enough product. And if it's a starter box, people are going to buy it. Yeah. Like, that's that's pretty standard. You know, the new edition's coming out. I play Warhammer. Like, yeah, I'm gonna gonna buy that, right? Right. So, like, they set themselves up for this issue. And I think that, like, it kind of turned into a situation that, that didn't necessarily need to happen. Or maybe, like, the people who are selling things on eBay ended up becoming the bad guys. When, realistically... If Games Workshop had just said, oh, wow, okay, the demand for this is insane. Uh, this is the starter box. Let's just, okay, no more of this pre-order, made-to-order. It's just, it's going to be on sale. We're going to print this. We're going to make this. Like, they could have just squashed the whole thing right there. Everybody would have been happy. But now it's created this situation that we all have to deal with. Now as a person who goes on eBay quite often and sells things on eBay, it seems a little unfair. And I'm not saying that it's right to triple the price of something just because you know that people can't get it. But I think there's some, some stuff we can dive into in there. So like, do you have anything along the same kind of lines as a a starting point and then where you want to go from there? Sure. So this is not, the only example of scalping or reselling rare minis in our hobby i mean that so we can we can branch out away from gw pretty quick here so yeah you know i I was giving this a lot of thought and my overall takeaway is the scalpers are just playing by the rules of the game you know this is this is all a game you know uh we're talking about buying toys here so every part of this is is trivial and you just you participate in this hobby however you want in order to to get some fun the the worst case scenario is that a grown man is not going to get a box of toys so this is like i am a grown man who wants that box of toys but i can still detach myself um away and say you know 
okay, the the worst case is that, you know, a child is not going to get a box of toys. That that would be a worse case. That that would be worse than than the grown man situation, yeah. and um, yeah. or or grown woman. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just uh, I'm grown peoples. Grown, people. yeah, grown peoples. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, from my point of view, the scalpers are just playing a game the way the rest of us are playing a game, and yeah. you know, I have they're they're not the bad guys. If, if the rules of the game allow them to buy however many copies of this box of toys and allow them to sell copies of that box of toys for a price that is way higher than the MSRP and that people are willing to pay, then they are playing that game well. And, uh, and you know, to a point, yeah. congratulations. Um, do you know uh, Martin Screlly? Is that his name? The, the pharma bro? It sounds so familiar, okay. but I don't, so there's, I don't think so. Uh, just this this really hateable guy who I think is currently in jail, but he's this like young investment banker kind of person who uh, is most famous for buying up a couple of very small drug manufacturers who make a drug for a rare but very unfortunate disease. And Mm. he's the guy that, you know, increased the price of some life-saving drug by like 2,000% or or some ridiculous margin. But that's an example of essentially scalping. And I think that move was actually entirely legal by the the rules at the time, the laws at the time. It is still not cool. And, uh, you know, karma came back for for old Screlly and put him in jail for some other things, but... Well, if you're the kind of person that would do that, then I have a feeling the uh, the barrier to entry, as far as prison goes, is a little bit lower for people who make specific kinds of decisions that are just not good for other people. Right. Like, if you're out to get people, something will be out to get you. Right. So, in, in Screlly's case, he was... Like, he was very clearly playing a game with it. Like, he's also famous for streaming, I think, on Twitch himself playing League of Legends and just trolling people. So he's like a young investment banker who is causing real harm to real people by jacking up the price of their medication while also clearly having fun playing the game of of commerce or, or what have you. And, yeah. uh, you know, clearly rubbing it in his face like, hey, you didn't think of, of buying this drug manufacturer and jacking up the price of something that yeah. you know people need to buy. And ninth edition 40K is, is not going to kill anybody, but you know nerds are going to buy it. Like there are people with a compulsion to, to acquire this box of toys. So Yeah, and if they can't get it for 200 bucks and they can get it for 400 bucks, then... Uh... That's the new price. Yeah. So, you know, there there are some scalpers who are, you know, trying to actually make a living and feed themselves and their family by, you know, reselling things. You know, there's people who, people like you on eBay there, Casey, who are are, are buying low, selling high, mm-hmm. doing capitalism to, you know, being, being a middleman yeah. to, to make a profit, to, to keep a roof over their heads. And then there are also people who are are just having fun with it, you know. 
Um, there's, there's the old story of, you know, a couple of brothers wait in line to get PlayStation 3, and each brother buys a PlayStation 3, and they have a great time playing one of them, and they sell the other one on eBay for three times the price, and, and you know, two brothers, you know, through their, their ingenuity and willing to wait in line for PS3, they, they got a free PS3, you know? And yeah. And when you hear that story, I don't think anyone gets too upset by that story. I think I think because a lot of the times we don't think of certain things in a bad light when obviously the story is pretty good. It's something that most people find fairly harmless, you know, but but you add a corporation into it, even though that's probably not really what this is. But you look at eBay and you look at the scalped prices for these things. Now we're putting a label on it, scalping. It's not just reselling. You know, all of a sudden these people become the bad guy. And again, I don't think $600 is a very fair price, but if people are willing to pay that, like that's what it is. The price goes up according to how fast these things are selling. You know, if they say, oh, we want to make, you know, X percentage, they sell out of however many boxes they had and then they do it again they jack up the price, it sells a little bit slower, they jack up the price a little bit slower, but they're still selling. Right. I mean, that's just how things work. So, it, like, whose fault is that, right? Like, if people weren't so... Well, I guess it just brings it back to, like, if Games Workshop had made more, this wouldn't have been an issue, but, like, if people are going to buy it, they're going to buy it. Yeah, so, so the, you know, Games Workshop has a couple of levers here. They control how many of a product they make they control mm-hmm. how much hype they give that product and they have some controls about you know well of course they have the the you know price control as well but they also are able to say how many copies they will sell to each buyer so sure. so if you're yeah. you know part of the story was when when these were first going up for sale, each person could buy six copies if they wanted to, but Games Workshop was like, oh, wait, this is going to be a problem, so they knocked that down to three, and they, they might have even knocked it down to one after that hmm. in terms of copies that each person could buy. So Games Workshop has some levers there to control supply, demand. Yeah, I mean, they definitely control supply. With their hype, they have some control over demand course they they are setting put a lot behind this yeah they're they did put a lot of hype behind it you know they they were sending out a lot of uh test copies or review copies or promotional copies um which is not something that they do for all of their releases but this was a release where they sent it out to a lot of youtubers not you or i but they they sent it out Mm -hmm. to to a lot of folks and yeah, they were they were definitely trying to drum up the hype for this. They it's actually interesting in terms of like an economic supply and demand curve. You know, normally you think of wherever the supply curve meets the demand curve, that establishes where the the price ends up. But in this case, Games Workshop yeah. entirely controls the supply. They also entirely control the price, and then the demand is. Uh, they have they have some control over the demand too with with the amount of marketing they want to put in but yeah i mean they're they're like 
there are people that work for them that can kind of, kind of give them an idea. It's like, well, we put X amount behind it. We see what's going on. Um, you know, if they limited it to six and it goes, well, maybe we should, maybe we should cut that back to limit that to three. We already have a problem, don't you? Yeah. Like somehow you haven't given the supply that it's like, it's not equal. Like somebody didn't do their job. Yeah. And I think they, they came up with the correct solution. Like I I am willing to entertain the possibility that they really just underestimated the, the real demand for for, for this. They, they shouldn't. I mean, they know what their previous box sets have been selling like, and they know what their eighth edition starter box sold like, and they know what their, their Primaris are selling like, like they, they should have been able to predict demand, but, um, you know, give, give them the benefit of the doubt. They, they just, you know, made a mistake, um, underestimated demand. I think they came out to pretty much the correct solution of, well, we'll just we'll just print again. Yeah, there's yeah. there's no reason it needs to be this limited of a of a thing. Like, yeah, just people want to buy it, print more. And I think yeah. I think that was a that was a good solution. The kind of the interesting nugget here that I think is worth talking about is that scalpers somehow became uh, the the scapegoat almost. Right. So like it's their Yeah, fault. the the reason the reason you couldn't get a copy of Indomitus uh 20 minutes after the pre-sale began uh that is the fault of scalpers and then when Games Workshop printed more Games Workshop is the good guy for owning the scalpers mm-hmm. or or whatever rip scalpers well, yeah, or yeah. You know, they released it and it's and it's supposed to be that they're now controlling the market and pulling those prices down from scalpers and it's like sure yeah there's there's more out there so the price is going to go down yeah but like what what was the purpose necessarily i mean it makes them look good yeah i, I don't know it's just interesting more the way the the community has reacted of the scalpers are are the bad guys and then um, Games Workshop owned the scalpers, pwned the scalpers by by yeah. doing the the second run, and the the interesting thing there is it it kind of shows how this is just a game, and yeah. that that if you are willing to make memes of the uh, the scalpers getting you know rip scalpers, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, shut down scalpers, scalpers aren't making any money like that's. That's the rest of the community just just having fun at the scalpers' expense. Well, normally the scalpers are, yeah. are having fun at our expense, but um... well, and even then, I mean, generally, when okay, so like I buy I buy new product from eBay. Personally, I try and make sure that it's from a physical store, mm-hmm. you know, so that I know that that this is a, a they're just shipping it from their store to me, and I feel pretty good about that. Like supporting business still even if i'm on ebay generally speaking when these companies do this nobody says a thing because they're selling it for either the same price or a little bit less mm-hmm. you know i think i think we should look at other things besides warhammer do a little bit of a comparison you know with with something else that shows exactly 
I don't know why we're not exactly siding with Games Workshop here. So, so I have a, a good story on this one, actually. Um, okay. From, from Gen Con 2019. So the second time I've gone to Gen Con, I've kind of established my, uh, my, group, of, my group of people that I wander around with there, my, my convention buddies. And anyway, last year, one of my convention buddies introduced me to kind of a friend of a friend and so, you know, met, met a friend of a friend there at Gen Con and like, oh, hey, what are you into? Like, oh, yeah, I paint minis and stuff. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah, um, you heard about the, the cool mini or not uh, Song of Ice and Fire game, the, the Game of Thrones game. And uh, did you hear about the drama with the, the Baratheons? And anyway, the story is that Simon. Uh, was releasing an expansion to the Game of Thrones game. They were releasing the Baratheon faction. And the first place you could get that box set was at Gen Con. And so it was one of those, you know, uh, an event special of, of getting yeah. all these new models for the first time at Gen Con. And um, I hadn't heard about it yet, but he's like, yeah, there was uh, there was this big thing on Facebook about you know, everybody being mad at scalpers because people were coming and, and buying out all of these sets all at once, and no one else could get them. And and yeah, the the Gen Con event did sell out of all the Baratheon starter sets really fast that year. And anyway, this this guy that I was just met is like, yeah, that was me. I uh, I went I was at the front of the line and I was at the front of the line and and I said okay I'll I'll take ten sets please and the the person at the cash register was like well we're actually like really limited here and um, not everyone's going to be able to get one it's like do you have a rule that says I can't buy ten sets well no we don't but it's just not really cool I'll have ten sets please here's my credit card and right. Uh, just I guess that's the amount of like he could carry back to his car or whatever, but right, um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's just just people playing by the rules and it's, it's working finding the system. opportunity, yeah. right? Like, what what's he gonna do after he sells those? He's gonna go buy more minis, right? Right. <laughs> like that, like. This person wasn't at Gen Con just to turn a profit. They're at Gen Con because they've gone every year for the last twenty years or whatever. They're yeah, they're they're yeah. the gold nerd and they love this stuff. And then I saw I saw the same guy uh, a couple of days later, and he had his his satchel on him, and I was kind of joking around like, "Oh, what's in the satchel?" He's like, "Those are my Bilbo's." Like, what do you mean your Bilbo's? It's like, "Oh yeah, I got uh, we got like twenty limited edition Bilbo's in here." Like, <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. Right, but that's that's pretty good though. Yeah, and and so there there's a couple of different game systems right there, but you know, just it just makes me think of I had a friend uh, from college who he's a he's a medical doctor now, and he's actually like a very mm. uh, I don't know if he's a good doctor or well respected doctor, but like his <laughs> his resume looks very good, like you know. G- okay, good schools sure. and great internship and, and great residency and all that like you know went from good schools then he went to mass general hospital and then he went to john hopkins and just like mm-hmm. a very distinguished person but his uh his hobby is is just hustling it's it's buying stuff for cheap on craigslist or on ebay 
just every time I'd go and see him, there'd be like a like some leather backpack in the corner, like, oh yeah, that's Louis Vuitton, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell yeah. it to this lady uh, tomorrow for like four hundred dollars above what it's worth, and uh, like just that's that's like his hobby is is playing the game and yeah. uh, and doing mercantile, you know. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. That's that's what it, a free market is, right? Sure. That's kind of the idea. If if you can find someone who's willing to pay that then you're doing what you need to do to survive or whatever. I mean, probably not in his case so much being a doctor, but it's a hobby. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done that for years with things that I found at thrift stores, mm-hmm. you know, uh, specifically magic cards for years. Like I've funded my magic hobby by flipping cards, holding on to cards, waiting for times to sell them. Like, I like to do that. And sometimes I get screwed over. Sometimes I sell a $2 card for $65. Like, that piece of paper is not worth $65. But well, today it is, Today right? it is, yeah. Tomorrow might not be. Yep. Do you, uh, like do you we, watch uh, Alpha Investments, that channel? Yes, I yeah. do. <laughs> I love that. I love that guy. <laughs> We'll talk about that then. Okay. <laughs> um, if you haven't seen it, Alpha Investments is a YouTube channel that specifically talks about investing, hence the name, into Magic the Gathering. Now, he runs a store um, and he sells on eBay. But a lot of what he does is he buys old collections from people at whatever price they figure out, and then he flips a lot of the cards. He also kind of teaches you a little bit about investment into the world of magic and, and flipping those cards. Um, I do like to watch a lot of the stuff because, uh, like I have found, you know, he'll say, Hey, this card right here, like totally spiked. It's way up right now, you know? And, and I've actually made money off of just watching a YouTube channel because it's like, Holy crap, I've got six of those, mm-hmm. you know, I bought them for $5 a piece and they're, they're worth 50 bucks now, you know, like I've been able to use that information to make a little bit of money and further my own hobby or, you know, buy groceries. Like, it, it, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. I, I, do you, you, I mean, I, obviously you watch that. I've channel. watched, I've watched uh, not maybe like 10 episodes or something like that. And Actually, for me, some of the more interesting stuff is he has at least one, maybe like a couple different storage units where you just have stacks and pallets of sealed booster boxes from magic sets from the last 25 years. And and so, you know, he'll have just just a stack of like a hundred of some box from seven years ago, and then he'll move a few of those aside and there'll be something from... 18 years ago behind that and just these plastic wrapped box boxes of you know cards for nerds and yeah when i'm watching that guy rudy i think his name is but when i'm watching yeah, rudy. rudy um yeah he's he's treating it as an investment and mm-hmm. i don't think i've spent a lot of time on his comment section but nobody is calling him a scalper no. He is he is buying product that uh, Wizards of the Coast is offering, 
and he is mm-hmm. sitting on it for i mean he's willing to set, sit on it for clearly like 20 years if if that's what he thinks mm-hmm. will be profitable but he is yeah he's sitting on product and you know sometimes he's buying sometimes he's selling but nobody's calling him a scalper i mean what he is doing is trying to buy low and sell high and and turn a profit mm-hmm. but he's not uh it's all a matter of framing like it it is yeah. someone playing a game it is someone being smart it is someone doing uh legal things that are generally celebrated by our society in terms of using right. capitalism to uh do what capitalism does and mm-hmm. the you know the only victim here is uh you know a 40-year-old nerd who's spending $184 on a dual land magic card or, or whatever like the right yeah, and, and in terms of the people, quote-unquote, scalping Indominus boxes or investors or resellers or, or whatever you want to call them, like, the only person being hurt here is someone who is willing to spend $400 on a box right. that, you know, might have ordinarily cost 200 Yeah. And, I mean, that's, like, $400 to one person is not $400 to another person. Sure. Like that, I I think that gets lost a little bit, you know, to some people like that, that amount of money is just not a thing. They're like, oh, it's 400. Okay, cool. Like I want those models. You know, I, I don't think, I don't think little Susie's spending her allowance and getting screwed over, you know? Right. Yeah. The, the, only, yeah, you, you do not need models in the same way that you need medication or food or, uh. Actually, in, right. in the that, in the time we problem. live in, uh, toilet paper is an interesting one, right? I uh, I got a little bit on that because there are some rules. There are actually rules about that in a, a, a national emergency situation. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> you know um, what? Fine. I didn't want to. We'll, I didn't we'll want to like, cut there, you off. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, um, price gouging, which a lot of people relate to this situation, right? They're saying, oh, you're gouging people, you're screwing people over. It should be illegal, right? Well, it's not. Um, Technically, I could go down to the store on any normal day, non-corona day, Mm -hmm. buy a thing of toilet paper and freely try and sell that bag of toilet paper for however much money I felt like. And if someone was willing to pay that money, that's what they wanted, right? That's their, I'm not here to tell them how to spend their money. In a national emergency where we've declared that, like each state declared that kind of back to back and then the United States declared that national state of emergency, you are not allowed to sell above, I think it's 10% of the uh, the price that's in whatever store it is, like whatever the, the general price is. Um, and you can go to jail for that because now you are trying to take advantage of an emergency situation and screw someone over. Right. So like a lot of people got mad because that dude that lived in like Sacramento or whatever had that kind of douchey picture of his garage filled with toilet paper. He didn't go to jail and people were saying this price gouging. He's, he's, you know, we need this, this toilet paper. We need all these things. National state of emergency hadn't been called yet. 
And he sold out of all that toilet paper. After the fact, it was. So he didn't do it anymore. People were scared, but it wasn't legally wrong for him to do that yet. Right. So it's a very interesting situation. And and this Indominus scalping, whatever you want to call it, isn't that situation. It is not an emergency. It is not an emergency. And the other thing tied into that is it's, you know, I'm thinking of it as a, as a game, the way same way capitalism is a game, but there can be rules for this game, you know, in the same way that, you know, states or the country can put rules on what you can buy and sell or for what prices GW can establish the rules of the game of how many boxes they ship to a single residential address, how many boxes they ship to a warehouse that is not connected to a physical store. Um, yeah. You know, GW has certainly blackballed companies before. GW certainly sets uh, pricing restrictions on what people are allowed to to sell their products for. You know, uh, the, the one we hear of a, a lot is that it's either... 80 or 85 percent is the kind of the the most discounted off of msrp that a that a store is allowed to sell so you know there are you know on amazon or ebay you can find people selling all kinds of different gw products for 15 percent off and i think maybe even 20 percent off but yeah it depends on where it is but yeah there, there are certain rules that they have to follow right but there, there is a, a definite uh, basement there or floor of what they're allowed to sell for. And you know, GW, if they're selling to a legitimate business, they can say, okay, these, in order for us to keep supplying you with product, here is the yeah. uh, price range that you're allowed to sell this for relative to the MSRP. And in terms of making sure that they're not selling to illegitimate businesses or whatever you know they're not selling to somebody who is just a private citizen doing their uh their ebay hustle yeah don't ship five pallets to one apartment <laughs> building or don't ship five pallets right. to a, a warehouse that is not connected to an actual game store like in, in most cases they uh, they do a check yeah right? yeah exactly like they they check online or however they call the store i don't know but that that's for like a lot of kickstarters you know you oh you know i can get a huge discount and buy five versions of this game if uh you know if i'm a certified store owner or whatever it is right. you know retailer right. they they make sure that it that you actually are you know so they are trying to prevent those kinds of things because yeah it kind of sucks when people are trying purposely to make more money on your product when you're just trying to get it out to as many people as you possibly can um, yeah, just, uh, in, in my view, capitalism is, is better with like a couple of rules in place. And, and in this yeah. case, GW is setting the rules for who can buy Indominus and how many copies they can buy. And the, the little flare up of the interest in, in all of these scalpers is just a little, little reminder that they need to, to keep the, the eye on the yeah. ball there. And Yeah. If if yeah. they do have a limited release product, uh, just try for for the sake of you know publicity and public opinion to make sure that anyone who wants one is able to buy one to make sure that 
maybe someone isn't able to buy six or 60. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I guess one last thing uh, to touch on here. Have you seen the the two special release Cadian models? There's a there's a jacked man and jacked woman. Um, I'm yeah, I, I I've seen the uh, the obvious Carl Weathers Predator right, model. Right, 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 right. Um, I want to say I've seen the other one, but I'm not sure if I have. Just a just a beefy lady in the Katachan outfit and. I think both of those were in the I, last I have year to have or so seen that. yeah i have to have seen it yeah but. and okay so there have been these two katachan models and i think one of them in particular was used to promote new store openings like new warhammer stores and the idea is to to drum up a little bit of hype for this character model that you can't get anywhere else to get people to go see the new warhammer store and and meet the staff and give them a little business and hopefully come back again someday. And of course, one of the effects of having these special release characters is that, you know, a couple of days later, anyone in the world can buy them, but for a hundred dollars or, or whatever the yeah. the price happens to be. I know that whatever uh, it ends up being. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that one Carl Weathers was, I think it might have stabilized at like $75, but for a while it was well over $100 to to get that Carl Weathers figure. Right, for a model that that they would have probably sold for 25 bucks. I mean, you know, these days 35 and people would have bought it, but sure. but yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, still double triple the price? How's that any different from Indominus? Nobody's calling those people scalpers either. I, I don't think that. I mean, maybe they are. Well, it's it's. Um, I don't know what what label is being attached, but there there is that same feels bad feeling of wow they they released their first Katachan models in yeah twenty one years <laughs> or, or whatever and yes and so there there's that bad feeling of like wow that that is a really cool model i would love to paint up carl weathers as a imperial guardsman yes absolutely and like okay i don't live near this new store in arkansas and i don't live in the uk and I, there was a new store in like vancouver canada and okay but uh so i guess i'm not actually going to any of those stores but i i would still like to uh you know buy this figure and uh support yeah. the company that's putting out a cool figure like this but then you can't get it or you know rephrased you can get it but you are paying a lot of money for it yeah there are a lot of companies that do limited edition releases a lot of the point of them and I, I suspect that Games Workshop has the same goal in mind, is to create more demand and to make things more special than they technically are. Um, like, the fact that they're even saying that anything that they make is limited edition means that they want to attach greater value to it down the road. Like, they know that there are collectors. So that's just how limited edition things work. Like, like even for uh, the Alpha 
alpha investments, right? Like there are limited edition magic sets. They're special. They're worth more money. They put more value into that. And it's like the value that's being placed on some of these things is purely due to the secondary market of how much people think that these things are worth. You know, because at the end of the day, it's costing pennies to to print one card, right? So it's like they're upping the price of those limited edition boxes because they know that they're going to be worth more. They're trying to turn a profit just like anyone else. Like, Games Workshop isn't the exception, you know? Right. Right. And... Yeah, I mean, limited releases are absolutely a thing in in every game, and it does add a fun aspect for collectors. And I, I think yeah. I've mentioned this before, but there, a podcast I like listening to is "Drive to Walk" with Mark uh, Rosewater Morrow for Magic: The Gathering, and and he yeah. talks sometimes about like, okay, if you're making a, a rare foil card or something, how rare should you make it? Because you, right. you want there to be the the thrill of the hunt in looking for, for a rare item. You you want it to be satisfying when you do get uh, a card, in this case, that not everybody can get. Uh, but you, you don't want to make it so hard that the that it, it becomes almost impossible to make something. You know, if you do such a limited release that it... it just there's this feels bad of okay nobody has this it's it's just not even on the market like that's yeah that's bad um so so there's there's a really interesting discussion to be had there of you know for for making these fun things for collectors to hunt down how rare should you make them and i don't know part part of the thing i'm lamenting here is just with the advent of ebay and internet internet sellers there's no hunt anymore it's just are you willing to pay four times the uh, msrp to acquire this figure and you know with with magic cards or something you know you it used to be that you'd have your your cards that you like and then you'd have your trade pile of like okay these these cards are might be worth something to somebody they're not really worth anything to me but i've got my binder of I'd be willing to trade these cards and, you know, I meet somebody at a shop, we'll see what they have. And then there's that thrill of the hunt of like, whoa, this person has whatever. And I'd be willing to trade, you know, these three cards for it. You get that negotiation and you get that, that satisfaction mm-hmm. of, of finding that rare item. Yeah. But here it's, was, uh, was, uh, yeah, here it's GW creates this rarity. They are going to sell out of every Carl Weathers that they print and they and are going they know to, you know, they're making a set value from there. And then, and then the residual of that is after they sell all their copies, the secondhand copies are going for three times the MSRP. And so the, the net effect is like the legacy of that print run is the bad feelings that come along with seeing those posts on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I think that bothers me the most is like it's purely preventable none of this situation needs to have happened you know there's no real reason for them to actually make limited edition anything 
like what do they just not want to make money like yeah. no they want to create value around something they want to create the thrill of the hunt or probably more so if you go into a store and you see someone playing that model and be like that is awesome how do i get one of those yep like it, it creates a feeling in inside of you right like it's totally different than oh yeah like we've got 50 indominus boxes yeah you can have one sure right. no big deal yeah the the fear of missing out and and yeah. all that stuff yeah it's marketing right yeah i mean they're they're doing a good job like uh here we are sitting about here talking about how hard it is to get an indominus box and if you want one you better buy one and i'll I'll actually tell you casey that literally yesterday i went to the store my local store and they actually had a few extra and i bought one so i bought an indominus yesterday is is the rest of this whole conversation because uh in my mind for the past two weeks is how rare this is it's a limited how edition is, they're right? doing this second run but after that second run there's not going to be any more and uh yeah so they i mean hey they they're doing their job right uh yeah my my local store still has a copy of the sisters of battle limited edition box do they well I might have they to come visit you someday casey i know I, well i keep staring at it like <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's still limited edition, right? Like, no, it's literally here. It's not, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And I know for a fact that they are getting, or they have, uh, a ton of Indominus boxes. Like, I have a GW store here, and I know they had some. And we have, like, two other pretty large hobby shops that have piles of Indominus. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I I mean, by the... uh you know, by the pricing structure that GW is set up for the rest of their products, like it is a pretty good deal if if you're uh, willing to use the rest of their catalog to to calibrate yourself. Like it, yeah, yeah. I I don't know how many points are in each uh, army. Yeah, I mean, just dividing all of those figures into uh, whatever they're actually going to be packaged as, and you know, sure, estimating sure. what those yeah. packages are going to sell for. Like, yeah, it's a good deal. Yeah. Yeah, generally. I, I mean, I, I do trust that they they try and push for that. They they want you to pick up these boxes, probably because it's less expensive for them to manufacture like yeah. that, and yeah. they, eventually they're going to recoup whatever money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know you're uh, you're an eBay shopper. Like, if you're trying to put together an army, you're you're thinking in terms of of your daily hunt on eBay, and that's that's where you get yeah. your fun and your enjoyment and your models from. Um, yeah, me, me, I'm, I'm more of a, a start collecting box. Some person of, uh, if I'm thinking of starting an army, which I may or may not ever actually do, I'm thinking of in terms of like, all right, what has the best start collecting box? Cause you know, which start collecting box is a good deal. And, uh, and normally yeah. the, the actual start playing the edition of the game is a good deal as well. You know, but yeah. Um, yeah. right. Anything else to say about scalping? I mean, I, I, I I think the the Rudy example there is is perfect. The, the Alpha Invest Investments channel, like a whole YouTube yeah. channel about buying and holding stock and reselling nerd products mm-hmm. for the purpose of of investing and turning a profit. And well, yeah, and we're talking about games, right? We're talking about yeah. non life right. altering things. I mean, like like Rudy equates what he's doing to like corn. 
Sure. I buy and sell corn yeah. or orange juice or pork belly. You know right. what I'm saying? Like whatever it is, that's what he's equating this to because he's trying to make a living from actually doing a hobby that he likes to do. Right. He's doing it very well or seems to be anyways from, from what he does on YouTube. Um, I think the only thing I want to make sure that we're getting across is that we don't believe, and I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me with this on, you know what I'm saying, that buying and up upping the price of like prescription medication that's life-saving, that people absolutely need to live, is terrible. Right, that that is bad. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I completely made that point. Uh, I don't like Martin Screlly. I think he's a bad right. man. We're not trying to say yeah. that this thing is le- it's legal, so it's fine. No, like yeah. that sucks. Yeah. There's, but when it comes uh, to toys, <laughs> yeah, the the I think just think he's an interesting point because if you uh, if you see a picture of his face, you can see that he's not even doing it just because he's a greedy man. He's doing it for because he loves playing the game and getting something over on somebody. Yeah, and <clears> in <throat> his case, he's doing it with medication that that people need. So playing games with that and price gouging people on that is a very bad thing. And we should yeah. uh, probably take another look at the laws regarding all that right. situation. But um, like in certain situations, yes, there should be limitations and whatever it is. And I mean, the, the prescription drug company is a huge example for that. Yeah. But we don't need to go into that. It's not, no, not, podcast not, not, is not about today, not prescription today. companies. Yeah. For <laughs> we're talking about plastic toys. Yeah, for for plastic toys. I mean, it's really a question of, like you said, the the limited edition that is good marketing. It gets it gets people yeah. talking about it. It gets people in the mindset, if I see this, I better buy it when I see it. And mm-hmm. that that is nothing new. And the only thing they have to weigh that against is, are they going to get the fans to turn on a, lo- a little bit if they do that too much, if there's too much of that bad feeling of yeah. you know things selling out, like the like starter set selling out in the first set, 10 minutes but... of pre-order. And so it's yeah. just managing people's emotions <laughs> you know just yeah. playing with their customers yeah. emotions in, in the right way to enhance sales that's that's all it is of, of course we would like the uh products to be readily available but yeah we understand what's going on so yeah i mean at the end of the day it's it is a game it's marketing it's sales like they're just trying to do what they can they've also ended up turning the situation into like gw is still the good guy even though they didn't print enough yeah right and and that's so like good for them right yeah like, i don't even know how even they did it but the community <laughs> decided that accidental. uh the you know quote scalpers were, were the bad guys here and then that gw right. stuck it to the scalpers by printing the correct amount of uh of the product they're selling and yeah i don't know but we we can move past this uh, in a few weeks from now nobody's going to care about indomitus anyway so we're yeah we're, well that's we're that's late true. to this game anyway but uh yeah I'm, I'm waiting for the day one of us really gets into kingdom death models or, or you know some one of those companies that really enjoys the limited releases and the Right. Yeah. I don't think either of us are there on that one. I'm, I'm trying to think of what other games have, like, badly limited releases. Um, like, 
I mean, the only thing I can really think of would be like magic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't particularly care for the limited release thing. Like it's the fear of missing out. Like I feel like I'm being manipulated on purpose. So I don't tend to buy into that. Cause I don't want to Good. have that feeling every single time I see a model, like, Oh, I can't afford it right now. Like sucks to be me, I guess. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah. What kind of tied up in all of this is is if the community does get angry enough about something, they'll you know threaten to boycott or whatever. Like you know, right. GW playing these games, you know, vote with your wallet. And like don't don't support them doing this. And the thing is, nerd uh, nerd boycotts never work. Like people people are buying yeah. those space marines. You can't. It doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, if you want to make a difference, don't don't buy from resellers who aren't actually physical stores. There you go. That's that's a good point. Yeah, like do the test check to make sure that they are because Games Workshop maybe did or did not. You know. Mhm. Yeah. Nailed it. Cool. All right, move, moving on here. We we talked about that for a while, huh? Sorry. Uh, yeah, for a, a good long while. <laughs> uh, so it's a little late now, guys, but we've mentioned this before, that this podcast is pretty good at 1.25 times speed, or, or 1.5 even. Um, Maybe we should open with that next I know time. I know one guy who, who swears by 2x speed on just everything, and uh, yeah. yeah, we should open with that next time, but... But look, do you want to uh, get to a few viewer questions here, Casey? Yeah, I think so. I think we can do a couple and then uh, wrap it up. All I right. think that sounds pretty great. Do you do you want to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read you one to get you start off. Time. Yeah, um, so that you can think about your answer. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Okay. So this <laughs> this first one comes from RK. Okay, not immediately thinking of any bad connotations of those initials, so good job, R. Uh, the question is, how do you guys get better at painting quicker and keeping quality? It takes me hours to paint a single standard Space Marine at a mediocre standard. Is it a case of making time to practice more? I think I think that's that really is what it comes down to. Um like continuing to paint and practicing, but being focused and, and trying to improve while you're, while you're painting every single time, um, that's going to make it easier and quicker. You're just going to know when things are right, when the paint is mixed properly on your palette, you know, how to apply that and not go, Oh, you know, I, I overspilled on something else and have to go back. And that's, those are the kinds of things that, that slow you down. Um, so it is a lot of practice, you know, you just get better at, at the whole repetition cause kind of just doing the same thing over and over again. A lot of the times, um, the other thing is if you really want to get better at painting quicker, just start a YouTube channel. Like you will get so much better at painting quicker, a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. So, so on this, there's, there's a lot of things that you can pick up through repetition. And if, if you're somebody who's painting a lot of space Marines, just, just cause that was the example there, you know, mm-hmm. the people who really paint a lot of space Marines, they, they have the practice of knowing exactly where the highlights go. Like 
uh, yeah. a lot of Space Marine helmets and shoulder pads all look pretty much the same. And if you have painted mm-hmm. many Space Marines specifically before, you know where the highlights go. Um, on on the shoulder pads, like the trim, there's there is absolutely a technique to paint the trim without accidentally getting the paint to run into that ninety degree angle and and getting the the curve of the shoulder plate there. And there is yeah. you know ac- absolutely a a technique to black lining the that shoulder pad trim and and all the other stuff so there there is some some muscle memory just in general painting there is some model specific muscle memory and strategy yeah um and and of course like if if uh if you want to try to crank out 10 space marines fast uh you can try just to you know, make your plan and stick to your plan and do like a, like a batch painting thing. If, if your goal is to mm-hmm. get those 10 space Marines done in a shorter time than 20 hours, that's probably reasonable. You could probably do that. Um, but I think the point you brought up Casey of recognizing when the fundamentals are right, like just getting the proper amount of paint into water or water into paint like yeah. r- recognizing when you have the right amount of paint on your brush, recognizing when your brush is garbage and you need to like throw it out and pick up a different one. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of those little lessons of just knowing when what I'm about to do is not going to work and I shouldn't even try it. Like there's, there's a lot of things yeah. that you, you pick up, uh, just, you know, experience and, and practice that way. But, um, and then a final comment on this. I don't think I've actually sped up that much. I mean, I do I do avoid wasting time on a lot of little things. Like I do, I, I, I am able to say, okay, my brush has too much water or not enough water, or, you know, whatever. Like there, there sure. are, there are things that I've, I've picked up over time. But when I sit down to paint a model, I don't think I've actually gotten that much faster. Like I always just get into my Zen like state of just sitting there and watching TV and, and painting and yeah. Yeah. I don't think like, uh, in terms of, uh, managing expectations, I don't think I've sped up that much. I mean, I know some people do speed up, but I don't think I have. Well, it's an interesting, actually an interesting concept to think about. Is it is it that you've gotten faster at painting or do you just make less mistakes so you're painting more efficiently in the same amount of time? I think more of that one. Like I like to think that I have yeah. gotten better over time. Right. But yeah. I don't think that I crank through a model that much faster. I just think, yeah, you know, my models always tend to take like three or four hours is seems to be where <laughs> I'm at, but well, and, and I should probably just mention that everybody's different. Yeah, right? yeah like, absolutely. Yeah. There, there's no metric for like good and fast or done. Like some people yeah. are really good at throwing colors together quickly and coming up with something really cool. Right. But that doesn't make you a better painter just because you're quicker at something. Like the best paint jobs in the world didn't take five minutes. Yeah. So, so RK, l- learn to love it because you're going to be spending a lot of time painting Space Marines, but 
uh, you'll get more efficient. I think that's fair to say. I think it's fair to say, you know, experience yeah, is going to make you more efficient. Up. Yeah. Like you'll, you'll get quicker at knowing when your brush is perfect for that edge highlight mm-hmm. and when it's going to be just a disgusting blob right on the corner. You know, mm-hmm. you'll probably throw down a thousand blobs before you get there, but that's fine. That's fine. That's how it goes. All right. <laughs> this one definitely goes to you. This is from KJ. Thinking, thinking. Okay, no bad connotations coming to mind. KJ says, in a future episode, here we are, would you all mind discussing about fair commission job values for painting and building minis? So... Uh, Casey, you have priced commission jobs before. Give us yep. give us some baselines here. So pricing commission jobs, like a lot of the times you go to a website, uh, your frontline gamings and whatever, and they have their commission service and they kind of have a set standard and that determines their pricing. You know, you got your tabletop and above and then, you know, uh, studio quality or whatever they call it. Um, they have been doing that for a long time, so they kind of have an idea and they're also paying third party people to paint those things for a flat rate. So like they know what they want to make on a certain kind of model as a a single person doing commissions. It kind of varies because there are a lot of factors. Um, for a long time, I was just throwing down 15 bucks an hour, you know, which isn't a ton of money um and that seems to be around where like a, a lot of people are although i've been told that like i'm way more inexpensive than most people uh so i guess it just depends like you you need to charge what you feel your paint jobs are worth and that varies so much from person to person so it, it's kind of hard to just put a number on something. Um, you know, what's your time worth? Yeah. What's an yeah. hour of your time? Figure worth? out what your uh, minimum wage is there. Right. Yeah. The and and keep in mind that you are not charging for giving estimates and giving updates and the time you spend to drive to the post exactly. office or whatever. Keep in mind that there are a lot of uh, tasks you have Extra. to do that are not strictly in your pricing and, and kind of build those in. Um, um, I, I will say this, though. For building the minis, most like studio places that do it, they charge 50% of the total of the painting commission if they have to build it. Extra. Is what I'm saying. So, like, say your model's a hundred bucks. Well, I'm going to charge an extra fifty if you want me to build that model. Hmm. Now, I don't. It seems fine because, like, whatever. I don't know because you're there's a lot of uh, stuff on your shoulder at that point, like mold lines and gaps and all these things that take time. And so, yeah, charging a premium on actually building them makes sense. It takes a while to to build a mini for real. To, to do it properly, yeah. 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 I usually I usually ask people to build them beforehand uh, because it's a lot easier to just get the job done. Um, I don't always do that, but I try to as often as possible. 
Yeah. That being said, too, I uh, I I really stopped doing commissions. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't do commissions, but just don't undervalue yourself. Yeah. Uh, art, creative pursuits in general in our culture are constantly undervalued, and uh, I imagine Casey that a lot of the a lot of people reaching out to you, you send them a number and you just don't hear back. Is that uh, probably 80, 90 percent? Yeah. OK. So if you are if you're, you know, somebody who is looking to get commission work done, I mean, the paint job for your models is going to cost a lot more than the models themselves or. Yes. Yeah. And for for somebody who just wants to play a game of Warhammer or who hasn't really thought this through about how long it takes to do a paint job about the fact that this is somebody that you are now employing and that you know yeah. people who are employed get paid and especially if you are skill, skilled labor you might get paid reasonably well um yeah and and so for a lot of people i don't think that jives with this is a this is a fun space marine that i that i want to like play some games with okay that's going to be whatever 30 dollars you know there there's a range of how much it costs to paint a space marine but yeah but you know it takes me a couple hours to paint a mini and fifteen dollars an hour is in the realm of possibility depending on uh <laughs> how how uh how much you want to value your time i guess but yeah um, for skilled labor that's pretty cheap fifteen dollars an hour like right and that's that's what i set it to when i started yeah. and then i i haven't raised it ever because i really just stopped doing it mm-hmm um, but even even looking at looking back at some of the stuff I've done, it's like I don't know what I was thinking. Sure, you know, because sometimes it's like, yeah, okay, that that took me three and a half hours. It's like, well, it's not much money for a single model, and I also made a video. Yeah, like that. That's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, and most of the time with commissions, people are like, oh, you know, are you gonna make a video? out of this commission it's like well I, I don't know you know generally I did but uh, still that's a lot of work for 15 bucks an hour yeah yeah I mean if you're if you want to get your army painted and then you ask for a quote and it comes back you know $3,000 to paint that army that okay so if you are the, the client that sounds you know and you haven't done you know paid for a commission artist before that sounds like a lot of money but if you're the you know artist doing out the the multiplication there that's not a very big hourly rate like um so just don't undersell yourself don't don't say five hundred dollars to paint an army because if you do the math on that that's going to be really depressing and right Yeah, I mean, it, it just has to be worth your time or else there's no reason to, to do commissions. Yeah. You know, like, you have to ask yourself, why are you even doing it to begin with? Am I doing this to make money or is it is it just kind of a fun thing to do on the side to make a few extra bucks? Who are you doing these commissions for? Um, you also need to take a good look at your own skills and ask yourself if you are good enough to actually get paid to paint. Like you need to be serious about that. 
Well, go go into that more, Casey. Do this tough love here. Like, are are you saying that there are some people who should not be commissioned painters, or or not yet? Maybe well, give it a year. And yeah, I mean, I th- I think depending on the kind of person you are, like, there are people who want to do commissions, and it's like, yeah, you spent eight hours on this model, and it just doesn't look like it doesn't look good. Like, it, this is your third model that's probably not worth much money. Right. And I don't want to pay, even if it is 15 bucks an hour for eight hours for a model that just, you know, it's like the, yeah. you're missing the basics, right? Like you're not getting the paint down properly. Things are broken, whatever the case is. Yeah. Like if you're, if you don't actually know how to paint a model, right? Like that's, that's probably not something you should pursue. Right. It, I mean, it sounded like, you know, negotiating with clients is one of the important aspects of, of being a commissioned painter, you know, coming up with uh, the quotes and, and then shipping it off and making sure they're happy or giving update photos and making sure that they're happy. But I can imagine that being a very un, unhappy and awkward situation if they pay you a couple thousand dollars for an army and they hate the army that you painted for them. Yeah. I, I mean, that's always kind of like the danger, right? Yeah. But Nightmare, if, you, yeah. if you have open communication, you're sending pictures, you know, you're doing your due diligence to make sure that they're getting what they want. Then like, generally speaking, it's not, it's not going to come down to a 2000 point army. that they hate, right? At least you hope not. Um, I think the worst thing that ever happened, which is not even a bad thing, is um, uh, one of the models that I I painted was a a Space Marine sergeant, and it was painted with a white stripe down the top of the helmet, and the dude was like, hey, uh, could you just, like, strip this down and and paint it, like, pretty nice, right? So I painted it exactly the same, but, uh, like, used an airbrush and did all this stuff, made it look pretty cool, and then he comes back, he's like, well yeah so the helmet's supposed to be red and it's like well i i don't know you this you said this is what it was i I had no idea Mm -hmm. um so it's like yeah i had to go back on my own time and paint that helmet red uh you didn't know the rank markings for that chapter of space marines did you yeah but i also didn't clarify either right okay yeah yeah i mean that's a communication is a two-way street for sure yeah 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 like I, I assumed that what he gave me was what that was, and I was incorrect. So I said, "Okay, yeah." Like uh, I should have realized, you know. I, I actually own the model with a red helmet, mm-hmm. so it's kind of stupid, right? But that and that'll happen. So you just need to make sure that you are communicating properly and valuing your time. And make sure that your skills are up to it. Like, you are up to painting a bunch of stuff however somebody else asks you to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I love listening to uh, Luke from Luke's APS Geek Gaming talk about this stuff. And, you know, he used to be a musician, and he's talking about, uh, you know, if someone wanted him to to come down to be the bassist for, for some event or something... 
and they'll be like, okay, come, come down for the day. We'll do like a trial run or whatever. And he's like, okay, what are you going to pay me? Like, oh, for the day? Oh, it's just a trial run. It's like, no, you're, you're, you're hiring me. Um, I, I'm labor. Like even, even though this is an artistic pursuit, like my time is absolutely worth something. You are, you are hiring yeah. some, somebody to do something for you and they have skills that you need and don't undervalue that. Don't, don't let yourself yeah, be undervalued. Um, and if, if it is not worth the, uh, potential clients, uh, you know, money to, to pay you, then, then it's okay just not to do a commission. Don't sell yourself out cheap to the point where they're happy. Like just right. you know, do it. Just because, you know, you get the job or somebody says, Hey, I'll give you 50 bucks to do this, this thing. Like that doesn't mean you have to take it. I've not taken way more jobs than I've been offered. Good. Yeah. Good. And I still am quitting. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, let's uh, Yeah. Let's crank out another one here, Casey. This comes All from right. SW. Okay, SW is safe. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. My question to you both is what is your favorite fictional universe that you'd love to be real? And does that influence your painting, such as choice of palette color and what minis you paint? Hmm. I was thinking about this question a little bit, and I really couldn't pinpoint any kind of fictional universe that I would love to be real. You know, you got your Star Warses, your Star Treks. Like, the sound cool, but, like, realistically, living in either one of those, eh, like... Who knows? I don't know. I, I can't decide. But um, does that influence your painting like a universe, a fictional universe? I like that a lot better. And I think it absolutely can. Mm -hmm. You know, like you were talking about uh, uh, Star Wars Rebels, right? Yeah. You know, looking at different colors and how they're playing on that. And the, the chick's got an airbrush and... Like, how could that play into something that you actually want to paint? Like, that that's a very real thing. It's going to give you ideas while you're watching that show, a little bit of inspiration. You know, you watch movies with, like, very striking color. You know, that new Blade Runner or, or Mad Max, Fury Road, right? Like, it has an aesthetic to it that is inspirational. It's very cool. So, like, I definitely think that like your favorite fictional universes, whatever that is, you can pull things out of that, that, that do influence your painting. You know, like you, you play Gaslands, like you're going to go to Mad Max for inspiration, right? You want your cars to be rusty and beaten up and like all that stuff. It, it's, it's all there. So I, I think that while I can't personally pick a favorite, I think that there are a lot of places to pull from and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Um, so I'd, I'd be fine living in the Federation. I think that's actually a pretty good place to live as, as far as these things go. The Federation and the Star Trek, not bad at all. Um, yeah, world peace, aliens. Yeah, no, no nice. hunger, war. They don't even have currency until they meet the Ferengi, and then they get the gold-pressed right. latinum. But, gold-pressed latinum. Yeah, the rules of acquisition. 
Oh, we should have we should have done the whole uh, talk about scalping in terms of rules of acquisition. Oh, we missed an opportunity. Next time, next oh, time. Oh, you are so right. Whoops. I'm sure I could have just pulled them up. We would have gone through the. Oh, we screwed I think up. That right? was actually. I think, I think they sold that as a episode. book at one point, or or somebody I, did. I'm sure they did. Amazing. That's a, that's genius. Okay. We're uh, stupid. That's fine. But yeah, so so. I think it is interesting that I do watch TV shows and movies now and look for inspiration. And I'd mm-hmm. say that my hobby has changed the way that I watch movies. And, you know, just this episode, we were talking about Sabine Wren doing airbrushing on TIE Fighters and just the the look of the show gets a lot of new colors into it because of that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, just, just whenever you're watching a show that just sometimes just color combinations leap out at you. Like, yeah. I, I can't remember what it was, but I was watching something that had like tropical islands in it. And just the combination mm-hmm. of that, that teal of the water with um, maybe the, the green from palm trees and then maybe like the reddish sand or something like that. And just the, yeah. those colors together just look so <laughs> good. And, and just like, wow. Um, I need to do something with that color palette of, of teal and that green and that red sand color. I need to, I needed to find an excuse to do that. And I can't even remember what that movie was, but that was a case of, it's just mm. like the, the palette. Um, or another situation we were talking about the Avengers end game. And I can't remember what, what, whatever the second to last Avengers movie was one of the, one of the bad guy characters was essentially a witch elf and she, she oh with the stripe yeah yeah yeah, yeah with the stripe and it was yeah. essentially a witch elf was was one of Thanos's uh, lieutenants or whatever and she had just yeah, this yeah. uh it was just the makeup that she had on her face but she had like a stripe across uh, both of her eyes and just it was like wow that that's such a cool little bit of makeup that's uh some makeup that I could actually draw on my minis, just right, uh, yeah. whether that's makeup With or a tattoo, stroke. I don't know, but <laughs> that would look awesome on, on a witch elf. And that's, yeah. you know, just one of those things uh, stolen from some other artist. And that's, right. that's in my idea box. I haven't used it yet, but someday I will. Uh, mm-hmm. And Star Trek ships look cool. And I have some toys around here that I'll paint one of these days. <laughs> yeah. I've never, I've never gotten a, a model, but uh, I think it was Matchbox was selling like die cast uh, scale ones for like a buck or whatever. It was just like mixed in with the cars, and I found a couple of those like over the years. So I picked up a couple of those, but nothing, nothing scale model like plastic kits or anything. Nice. I actually have a, a few pretty large ones. Uh, Playmates, or I, I can't even remember the company, but they're like mm-hmm. foot long uh, Star Trek ships. All right, yeah, and they're they're toys, but I think they'll paint up pretty nice. And I'm thinking about doing like not not the standard film version, but just just doing not something crazy grain. on them. Yeah, but it, yeah, you should go nuts. Use your airbrush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'd say absolutely. Whenever I'm watching something now, I'm I'm looking for inspiration, and I watched mm-hmm. Guns Akimbo last night, which is I still haven't seen that. Yeah, it's it's got some moments. It's got some moments. 
Awesome. It's kind of like a little bit of crank in there, so. but this is the the movie where Radcliffe, whatever, Harry Potter is a grown man, uh, wakes up one morning mm-hmm. and has guns bolted to his hands, and then he has to <laughs> like participate in some underground fight club that's televised on right. the internet. And it, it led to a lot of great memes of the first D&D character you ever have is... And then there's this picture of Daniel Radcliffe as in his second year at Hogwarts or something, just a just a right, nice yeah. neat little wizard. <laughs> and then you're everybody's tenth D and D character that is just grown man uh, Daniel Radcliffe with guns bolted to his hands, <laughs> running around the middle of the street in a bathrobe. And oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, so so it's just got a, a bunch of like fun, crazy stuff in there, and it is this underground fight club kind of thing and so a lot of the characters have that really punk vibe to them and you know the almost like gangers from necromunda or, or something like that yeah well even just the, the guns bolted to your hands like you could you could make some kind of little thing like literally push a pin through like an arm and there's like a gun on there or whatever like it's a sweet idea already yeah, just that, just that. Yeah. But the and there's so many little details like that on the various characters like uh kind of the the lead female ganger just just has uh like silver canine teeth. I mean, she's she's got a like <laughs> a bunch of crazy tattoos and everything too, but then uh, you've you've known the character for a couple of minutes, and then she smiles, and then it's just these crazy silver yeah. like canine teeth, and just like just just perfect stuff like that. Most models uh, don't even have the canine teeth sculpted, but right, right, just put that in your back pocket for the next time you need inspiration. Yeah, watch watch videos with a with an open mind and and thinking about this stuff, and absolutely mm-hmm. a wonderful place for inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, I think we I think we hit that one pretty good. Nailed it. And on that note, thank you for joining us on another episode of Paint Bravely. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help us out by leaving us a review on iTunes, subscribing to the YouTube channel, and sharing this message with your hobby friends. As always, we appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. That's right. Talk to you next time.